everybody, welcome to another Prog Report podcast. We are doing an ultimate Pink Floyd album podcast today, which is uh, going to be a lot of fun. But I want to welcome our very special guest, Mr. Randy McStein. Randy, how you doing, man? Good. How are you guys? All right. Welcome back. Uh, it's been a while since we had you on. Uh, and also joining us is Kyle Fagala and Jeff Bailey. Hi. Back to the program. Hi, everyone. And uh, Kyle is... Uh, Kyle is, is operating from an a interesting location. Yeah, so I just I just finished work and came straight in. Cool. So, no one's in the chair behind you then, right? I don't think so. You if forgot, someone comes in, it's entirely possible someone just walks in. Right. <laughs> and the, there is access to nitrous oxide right here. So yeah, can you we'll see that this before goes. we talk? Can you, uh, can you do this whole podcast uh, after a giant <laughs> whopping hit of it? This may just Could be I rough enough where you, want, where you want to <laughs> afterwards. Could. One of the things uh, that's crazy is that in all the podcasts that we've done, and we've done hundreds by now, oddly enough, we've never done any uh, one on Pink Floyd, which is um, kind of nuts, crazy, actually, huh? if you think about it. It just never, I think we planned it a couple of times, it didn't happen, and then we just, I don't know, it just it never worked out. But, um, you know, it's sort of like, uh, it's it's a big one to tackle, so we'll see how, how we go with this one. Uh, but first, Randy, uh, let's let's just ask you a couple questions about what's going on in your world. What's what's been the latest with you, and and how have you been handling the last year? I know you've put out a couple of records, and you know, let us yeah. know what's going on. Well, uh, yeah, you know, this is an interesting time to have a chat because it's uh, we're talking. It's June third, uh, just less than an hour ago. Cruise the Edge announced their lineup for twenty twenty two, and Mixtine and Miniman will be there, which we're both very excited about nice yeah so uh that's that's a really cool bit of news that is super fresh but in general i would say that you're catching me at like one of the many sort of transitional points that i find myself going through you never really know when they're going to happen but uh you know the thing about 2020 is like you said mixed and miniman was launched we made two records last year. We are working on a follow-up right now. But after that second record, uh, I realized that I, I was, you know, needing some sort of, not a break, but but a kind of recharge because we, we did one album, we went right into the second one. And uh, with everything going on in the world and, and, you know, I've just never experienced that kind of, uh, electricity as, as a as an artist before of just like really diving in for a really prolonged amount of time and it's uh you know it's it's the case that i didn't take i didn't take the year off i didn't play live but i worked right. as hard as i've ever worked on anything so i find myself now it's you know we're midway through 2021 already which is insane and um i'm i'm sort of figuring out okay where am i as life comes rushing back in and calls happen and emails happen and hey where do you want to do something all that kind of stuff um lately i've been finding that i need to just kind of take stock of okay where am i at the moment you know because there was 2019 me which was on this sort of solo trajectory uh which culminated in touring with the pineapple thief you know i did 20 dates opening for those guys as a solo singer songwriter kind of configuration and anything that i thought was going to happen in 2020 obviously did not happen things like touring with big big train 
doing more solo right. dates, all that kind of stuff. It all just kind of went away. And McStein and Miniman came in and just be, took over my whole year in, in the best way possible. Uh, but here we are a year later and it's like, wow, I've, I've never, I've never actually stayed committed to one thing for that, that long, mostly out of necessity because being a sideman or whatever, you get pulled in a lot of different directions. So it's a long way of saying that I'm, I'm kind of figuring out, okay, I've got this thing with, with Marco and we're on a very particular path. Who am I as a solo artist? Uh, who else might I want to collaborate with? from the, the past or the, you know, all this kind of stuff. So uh, it's all good, but uh, it's uh, a slightly confusing time because I think there's so much excitement to get back to normal with everything. You know, you just hear this all the time and I'm, yeah. I'll be the first one to tell you that I'm not quite ready yet because I've had to realize that I've, I've been, I've been a gigging musician since I was 11 years old. I've not had a summer off mm -hmm. since I was in fourth grade. I mean, I've played almost every really? week of my entire life. So when people are, you know, racing to get back out the door and, and go on tour and play live gigs, I'm kind of like, you know what? This might be one of the last summers where I can actually dictate for myself, that, you know, make the choice to not do anything. So that's that's kind of the kind of thing I'm. I'm that's funny because a lot of artists are dying to escape their homes and go straight on the road, and you're yeah, you're thinking maybe I've been actually too busy. I might want to take a break. You're like uh, you're like the Revolver era Beatles yeah. or something. This is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I've like jumped onto some alternate timeline, and <laughs> and I feel like I'm I'm not going to be weaving in and out of sync with what everybody else <laughs> is doing and. And I think at a certain point, you know, uh, I'll get pulled back in line and it, all it takes is the right gig or the right offer or whatever it is. Um, but for the time being, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's my wife and I and our, and our two pets and she's a school teacher. She's got a couple of weeks left before she's off. And it's like, well, how do we want this summer to, to go? So uh, we'll see. But I'm, yeah. I'm excited nonetheless. You know, if, if I sound slightly lost, it's because I'm kind of figuring it out in real time. And here we are talking about it. So, yeah. You also have a very active uh, Bandcamp page. And has that been a, a sort of useful outlet to, to kind of offload just bits and pieces as they've, as they've come up over, over the year? Yeah, I, I do have, I do a subscription thing on, on Bandcamp, which, uh, you know, I don't want it to just be this sort of, you know, scraping the barrel place where I say like, here's all the crap that I didn't want to officially put out. Um, so I don't want it to be that. But as, as Randy McStein, it, it is kind of the case that I'm, I'm kind of unsure of where I'm headed next um, as a solo artist, because so much has been channeled into McStein and Miniman, you know, the way, mm -hmm we have operated so far is that we're mostly taking songs that are our own compositions, putting them on the table and finishing each other's works, you know, to, to get mixed time and minimum, which is like better than if I was going to do it on my own, better than if Marco was going to do it, or if better is the wrong word, just different, you know, it's, it's a true sort of uh, 
here's the demo version, it might be good enough. But when we work on each other's material, we, we take it to this other place that becomes ours. And since we've been working that way, for me, it's kind of like, well, what's the difference between the version of me who writes for us versus writing for myself? And we're, we have two albums under our belts, but it's still, it's so early to, to really know. And uh, I'm just, I'm interested in so many things musically. And that's always right. been my sort of gift yeah. and, and curse in a way, which is not being able to really de decide down a particular path. I just, I love exploring so much. Uh, but, you know, it takes, it takes a lot um, for an audience to sort of accept that. And, and because I've always looked up to people like Zappa and Neil Young and, mm -hmm you know, just, just people who kind of do whatever the hell they want in a way, you know, uh, that's, that's a tricky thing too, because you, you can take that attitude and uh, people will love you or, or not for it. But I do think there, there is an importance of keeping some sort of common thread through things. So, uh, so yeah, I have, I have a lot of ideas and I'm kind of pulling it together and saying, how do I want to but yeah, put the pieces together. Right. I got one thing I wanted to ask you about that I've really enjoyed. For one thing, is just uh, you and Marco both do social media really well, and okay. I'm always I'm always on there, I'm addicted to it. It turns out, um, but it's kept me really in tune with really both albums, and I love watching it kind of come together in pieces and see how you're doing. Just like the weird guitar stuff that you do, and I, I love the like the exploration. I guess you should say. But the snowballs that just I guess started maybe like in March, I think. So you've had like John Five and you've had uh, Jordan uh, Rudess. You've had Simon Phillips even randomly uh, and yeah. probably some others. You had some like female bass player, I think, just the other day that was like Mohini really Day. great. Yeah. yeah, that was awesome. Um, so is that like just for fun or is this like potentially like trying out what might become more, like an even bigger collaboration for like a future project? Like what what is all that? Good question. Um, I wonder about it myself. You know, that whole thing started so innocently. Uh, was, yeah, back in March, I guess it was. And I just, I, like, I play all the time. And one of the last things I ever think about is setting up a camera and recording it. Um, mm. So social media for me is, it, it's a really huge topic. We don't have time to <laughs> delve into it but I have a kind of a love-hate relationship with it. And when it comes to documenting, you know, me just playing in the living room or whatever, um, that's like, for me, you know, I mean, I've practiced for hours and, and a lot of song ideas come out of those things. But this one particular day, I thought I'll, I'll set up the camera and just film something. And I was playing along some drone that I created. And I looked back at the video and there was like six seconds that I said, what was that? And I kept going back to it because I, I played this like McLaughlin, Demiola-esque thing that I didn't recognize as me. Like I had never practiced <laughs> that before. It just kind of happened. And I was like obsessed with it. I was like, I can't believe I, I just did that. You know, where'd that come from? And I thought... I'm going to snip this six seconds of music out and send it to Marco because I know that he loves doing that kind of thing where he'll take like an improv and build off of it. He's done whole albums with people where he 
does that kind of thing. And he composes a lot of his songs that way too. With He'll start out doing a drum improv on the drum kit and then he'll write parts around certain parts of his improv. So I said, hey, I would love to hear this sound like music basically with, with another instrument. Could, could you play drums to it? And he said, yeah, sure. So he, he played this bit and then he extended it uh, by about 20 seconds or so. And he said, I left you room to add to what I did. And that's, that's how the idea sort of started, you know, mm-hmm. just purely based on improv. And then it was so much fun and we just kept like, you know, listening to it over and over again. And then it kind of went into this whole thing of like, you know, we could, we could have guests and we could, we could kind of roll things into this giant composition. And that was the idea. But now I, I do wonder to myself, especially with some of the guests we've had, like Jordan, um, when I watched that clip, when I saw it come together, I was like, this is like a self-contained thing. Like I could see it on, on the screen of like, wow, this, this 20 seconds really excited a lot of people. People were going nuts over it. And um, a lot of the other ones we've done as well. So I don't know. I, I think it could be anything from one super long composition that we flesh out and, and you know, make it into like a, a piece, like however long we want it to be. I think your point about could they be breakout projects? Maybe. Um, mm-hmm. it, it hints at a lot of possibilities. It could also just be like good song starters. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Right now, I'm kind of feeling like I might want to pause it for a little bit because I really need to focus on our next record. And as fun as they are, and as short as they are musically, they're really intense. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. th- that 20 seconds of music that we do twice a week, so like close to a minute, um, some of those pieces are like, what do I have to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, and then I edit the videos and before you know it, it's like, it's it's a lot of fun, but it's become uh, like a whole other side project. So right. I think I've realized in the last couple of days actually like, hey, hold on a second. We can keep doing these, but maybe we should ease up the schedule a little bit and get back to, you know, making a record, which, uh, so we'll, we'll see where it goes, but I, I do want to see it kind of continue because we, we have a lot of really interesting guests who um, who want to be a part of it. So so I really enjoyed the two uh, Stein and Miniman records. I think they're super eclectic, different, creative, a lot of fun stuff on there. Um, I, everybody should please go check those out. They're available everywhere on, you know, online. Check out the Bandcamp page, I guess, would be the best place to to get that stuff um and keep an eye out for the new record as well um you looking at that maybe next year you're thinking 2022 or or still this year hard to say uh we're we're working with a producer well he's he's eng- he's going to be mixing and he's sort of co-producing uh tim palmer who uh oh yeah sure a lot of yeah really great records he mixed a couple tunes on two he did the song big wave and he did the album intro and uh i really like working with with tim we've we've done a lot of tracks over the last several years and uh i think he brings a really interesting dimension not only as a mix engineer but because he's such a prolific producer he kind of gets 
what we're giving him and and then he's kind of able to take it like this extra percentage oh hello kitty um extra percentage which makes it like it's us but with like something a little bit extra that he's able to kind of bring out of the performances in the mixing stage and uh so that's very exciting and, and very fresh i i sense that we are yet again heading into some very different territories which is exciting and we've we have three three songs fully mixed right now there's another one uh, that he's about to start and there's a lot of material uh, i still want to do some more writing and uh, we'll see where it goes but it kind of just depends on what the pace of the next few months brings uh right. you know i've said that i want to take the summer off but that's not entirely true i'm totally going to be working on this next record and i think once i kind of fall into a, a flow with that stuff um you know it could be here sooner than later but having cruised to the edge out there in the distance is, is a really good thing for us to to look forward to and, and maybe sort of uh, yeah i'm excited i mean i i liked seeing that poster out there today and of course i'm involved with it and i'll be there and and uh i think it's Hopefully we get to, to do it, man. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. I'm glad glad you guys are going to be on board. Um, let's go ahead and get started on our on our Pink Floyd uh, Ultimate album. So we've done these before. Um, we're each going to end up picking three songs for an ultimate of twelve. Uh, any any era, any any song doesn't matter. Um, and uh, we'll just go around in turns. And and um, if a song is picked, you you can't pick it. Obviously, that's that's what we'll do. So, uh, Randy, we always give our uh, I guess the first pick. So you can you can go first uh, okay. to kick us off. Well, I am. Uh, I was saying before we we got on officially. You know, this is such a hard one, obviously, because there, there's so much. Well, it's such a huge catalog for one. Yeah. But if that weren't enough, you you have this group of albums in the middle, which just everybody on the planet seems to know and adore. And, and you can pretty much hear these records on the radio every day for the rest of eternity. So it's, uh, it's crazy to know that there's no way we could possibly fit in all of those songs, which is already just like way more than, than 12. And I, I think the challenge will be to, like, among those songs that have just been played over and over and over again, how to differentiate between like, well, there's a reason they're played over and over again because they're great, but also what is the catalog we're, we're leaving behind? So um, in starting, I, I think I'm, I'm gonna just get this out of the way because I, I think it's very important to go first song, first album, which is um, Astronomy Domini. I listened to it again today, both the studio version and the live version from Amagama. And it's just, it's that song still really just holds up. It's so cool and weird and unexpected even to this day, the chord changes, the lyrics, the melodies. I think they, when you think about first song, first album, mm. you know, something like Good Times, Bad Times with Led Zeppelin, like it's a real, statement yeah. you know within seconds that that you're about to kind of go somewhere and uh this is one of those songs i mean especially if you think about what was going on at that time in, in 67 i'd have to look at a, a list you know week by week i know portnoy's been uh, mike has been doing those uh, quite regularly but it's 
it's definitely in a, in a statement of intent and an arrival of something that is very different than what had gone on before. And, uh, you know, Sid Barrett obviously didn't hang in there long enough to really know what, where the band could have gone, but it's, it's undeniable that they wouldn't have gotten where they did if, if not for him being the initial sort of, uh, you know, main songwriter and, and the guy with the vision. And, and I think the majority of what you need to know about that early period is really in that one song. Yeah, this has to be there. I I totally pegged you for picking a Sid Barrett song. <laughs> I just knew you would. Uh, yeah. You know, I I mean, I've said I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of the early early records. I it a lot of it just doesn't catch me. I think that's the one song that I think w when they even play it live, when they played it live in sort of the more recent years, it seemed to match. It yeah. kind of fit with still sort of the dark side era and. And all that stuff so i totally get that song um but yeah that's cool i mean i think it yeah it, it belongs if you're doing an ultimate album and you had to pick at least one song from from the early records to give a nod to that i think that's totally you know right on yeah well i i was hoping that would be picked i, I think i think it's totally right that it's it's the first pick um and you know as you said you know the timeline there i mean they were in I think I'm right in saying they were in Studio Three in Abbey Road while the Beatles were in Studio Two making Sgt. Pepper at exactly the same time. Yeah. And actually, if you listen to Astronomy, you know, they both were experimenting, mm. but doing completely different things. You know, the Beatles didn't particularly kind of, you know, improvise jam in the same way. But if you listen to it, it's got, you know, echo on the guitar he's he's using slide you know they're throwing it on it's on it you know where the beatles were moving towards maybe a more considered constructed uh overdub world you know there are elements of of overdubs and stuff in it but essentially that was just a band being very very loud and being very improvisational and uh yeah no it's a it's a, as a as an opener for a career um it's it's brilliant and and the material that's as roy said featured in the set right up to the final tours but also nick mason his saucer full of secrets band are are, are have been out there playing that stuff um absolutely brilliantly in recent years as well yep cool um kyle you want to go uh second oh man i get to go second wow um i love that pick i also love that it's a pick from stuff uh, from their career, I don't know as well. So then I don't have to pick it. You know, I, I've never been able to get into the Barrett era as much. Um, so I guess Roy and I are the, the lame ones here. So, man, Randy actually said it really well that I think it's a deceptively difficult uh, task to pick <laughs> for this band because there's like 25 songs that I've heard a hundred times and they're all great maybe even 300 times. Uh, so obviously we won't get to include all those. Um, I don't know if I'll keep like completely chronological. I know that would make Jeff happy. Um, but I guess I will kind of keep 
in that mindset somewhat. Why don't we go uh, with Echoes uh, from yeah. Metal? That kind of keeps it like sort of in order. I don't want to be hamstrung by the order thing, but I, no, I kind of, no, no. I, 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 I could kind of get I, behind that. I've I've manipulated the order later on at the end. We sort of. Oh, have you? Okay. We sort of. Make but I kind of I kind of dig that. I think we can almost sort of kind of keep with an order of sorts, and we can go backwards if we need to. Uh, I did that on my on my list. Um, I yeah. Started from earliest to latest, and that was number. That was my number two. You know, just yeah. chronologically. So there you go. Yeah. So I have, like, I have, you... I have two. I have two things written down this piece of paper, and the first word is a. You can't see it because of the light, but you can see yeah. it there. One says astronomy, and the next one says echoes. That's the only two things I've written. <laughs> were those the only two songs you were going to pick? Like, what was that list? <laughs> so Jeff, just go ahead and log off, Jeff. Bye. Um, I, I mean, in, in terms of the career of the band, like, you know, everyone here knows this, and I'm sure a lot of people, I mean, Pink Floyd, like everyone that loves Prague and loves music knows something about them. But in terms of their career, obviously they were left a little bit rudderless uh, by Barrett and kind of his decay or whatever you want to say. And then a lot of, you know, their middle career is effectively writing songs about Barrett and, and metal. I got to write the little summary about when we did that list of albums that were sort of overlooked. And uh, it's an uneven album, let's say, but Echoes is certainly the, you know, the gem of that album. I think everybody would agree. And it really acts as uh, the turning point for that band, I think, whereby they saw that they could do this without Barrett. Um, and not, not only they could do it, but they could do it really, really well. And that album and kind of the construct of that album was lots of experiments in the studio. And, uh, but that song in particular, it's probably a top five for me of them. So there's no way it's not going to show up on this album. And that note you know it's it's amazing that you like land on one idea musically and that's what creates a 23 minute song you know like from that that kind of an idea so a uh, lot yeah. that i could say about echoes i guess what is echoes for you guys you know it, it's not one of my favorite songs by them i'm sort of an odd person on that but i mm -hmm. i do think that um their music sort of starts for me with that album i think that's sort of where mm -hmm. i jump in and everything then afterwards is where I kind of the stuff sort of before that I can take or leave some of it it's some of it's too trippy some of it's weird you know all that kind of stuff but I think metal sort of sounds like an actual record with songs you know that sort of work from beginning to end and um so I I, I think it's where things sort of start to come together yeah. I think it was for me is, t is two things um a memory of my friend's older brother, who we kind of borrowed his Pink Floyd stuff, which is where we kind of first heard it from, and him having a VHS video of of Live at Pompeii, which starts and ends with with echoes and with David Gilmore with his shirt off and um, just that phenomenal setting for the show. And I think that was probably the first time that I heard that song. Um, and my other thing of metal is 
um i went to scotland to see david gilmore on the on an island tour and they did echoes in the set and rick mm. wright was in the band um so i think that was apart from i think that was pretty much some of the last the last time that they probably played that with the two mm. of them and cool. just hearing that was absolutely incredible the rest you know the show was like three hours long but you know to set half a, half an hour of it aside and um, to that was just absolutely fantastic yeah i think that song it's really yeah i, I put it yeah second after astronomy because i think uh i i do really like the albums in between i, I really mm -hmm. do like um Amagama is amazing i like the soundtrack stuff quite a bit those albums you could argue are very uneven, of course, um, because obviously they, they really perfected the album right. by the time, you know, start, I think starting with metal, but obviously Dark Side of the Moon being just this cohesive, amazing piece. Uh, but Obscured by Clouds has really great stuff on Adam Hart Mother. All, all, the, all the pieces are there. It's just they're, they're not put together in the way that they would you know, in a couple of years yeah. time. Yeah, that, and I think, that's where I look at it too, yeah. Yeah, and one of the things that's so amazing about their catalog and about the record business at that time was that they were given so many chances. They were, they were just given such room to grow and to try things. And I mean, some of that early stuff is just so radical. Um, and a lot of people argue for whatever reason, you know, whether or not Pink Floyd is a progressive rock band, you know, because they don't maybe carry the same sort of symphonic elements that their contemporaries did, but certainly in experimentation, there's, there's no doubt that the stuff that they were doing, you know, on those albums in between with, with sound effects, with, with uh, tape manipulation, all that kind of stuff, really, really progressive, really forward thinking. And so with, with Echoes, I think it's been said many times, like that's really like the arrival in, in a lot of ways of exactly where they were going. It's like, it's almost like everything that came before and the perfect point to say, this this is where we're heading next. And the fact that it closes that record mm -hmm. and then the next thing we get from them is Dark Side of the Moon is, you know, in that context, it all makes total sense. But at the time, I just have to imagine that that must've been really something to drop the needle on side two and just get immersed in that piece of music because it's really something all right let's move on uh jeff your uh your next pick your first pick actually okay. number three my first pick <laughs> well so yeah you're leaving me uh, i mean my 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 script yeah, you no more has songs gone. To pick. that's it they're gone and, and <laughs> you and and you leave me and and you guys should know how dangerous it is to leave me in an awkward <laughs> position like this so i'll tell you what i'm gonna do i'll cast chronology aside at, because randy alluded to the that, that kind of period in between those two points and th they did a lot of experimental stuff and yet did a lot of very quite simple more pastorally acoustic type stuff which is which is really good as well and i think you see some of that thread coming through in the future and wish you were here and stuff like that so the song i'm gonna pick is from adam Hartmother, um a fat old son and um, which is a which is a david gilmore song um and it's a again it's it's from it's a more sort of wistful um quite lazy sunny day song with an absolutely killer guitar solo at the end where it's probably one of the 
I think it's probably one of the kind of earliest solos where it's the kind of the, the Dave Gilmore sound comes through for um for the very first time. Another song that they quite surprised me by playing at, at that at that show that I saw him at. So um I'm gonna put Fat Old Son in there. That's is that's a deep one for sure. Jeff uh, is taking great pleasure in that pick. I can just he tell. Loves it. He's just he, he he's trying to make the veins in my forehead come. Uh, not, you can cool. go and listen to it after. No, no, totally, totally cool. Um, all right. So I guess I'm gonna uh, be uh, uh, the person who maybe picks something from you know modern century. Um, uh, but I'm I'm gonna go. Uh, uh, I, I think this is, to me, this is the song. It, I'm going to go with uh, Shine On You, Crazy Diamond, um, the side one uh, version. Um, and uh, that's, I, I think, just like Echoes or Astronomy, I, I think this is like a song you have to have on uh, the ultimate uh, Pink Floyd album. The the four-note guitar lick that you know that Gilmore plays to to start the the main part of the song is just so iconic and just so cool I was watching the um Delicate Sound of Thunder uh yeah reissue that just just came out and just even in your living room like as that whole thing starts and everything and then everything gets really quiet and he just plays that guitar part and it just sends chills you know it's it's like the greatest thing ever and uh I remember being 12 or so at that concert that my dad took me to see that tour and i it just all something i'll never forget i'm just so thankful that i got to see that tour it was just like and it was in the rain that was outside it was like the greatest thing ever uh to see and so uh yeah shine on you crazy diamond stole your choice from that album because i know you don't like to have songs from the same album but uh there you go a cool example of what of what randy was talking about being um taking a small kind of section and when you were talking about the snowball stuff you know taking a small section of something i think that's pretty much how that came about that those four notes just kind of fell out of the guitar and they sort of took it from there it's a haunting uh progression i don't know what else to say about it it's like as soon as you hear it for the first time yeah i mean it's just the, the magic just continues to unfold and even even before that that happens what it, it's amazing to me in this era 
that we're in now, especially, you know, speaking, yeah, as, as an artist who creates music in this time, the, the pressure that has been brought on by sort of modern listening tendencies, gen making a broad generalization here, but based on Spotify and, and YouTube and, and just the way that people are so quick to move on if they don't hear something in like five to 10 seconds and how, <laughs> how basically that kind of short attention span and, and algorithms and stuff are like reshaping the way artists make music because it's like, hey man, if you're not into that song in five seconds, you know, people are gonna move on. And I always come back to Pink Floyd in general, but this song in particular, being an album uh, opener to where you're getting your minutes before the band actually kicks in. And, you know, I just, I just think about somebody pulling up Pink Floyd on Spotify for the first time and clicking on that song and like just hearing wind sounds for, you know, for forever before they're like, yeah, this band sucks, you know, and like move on. And, um, you know, it just says so much about, well, who they were, but also the, the patience of the listening audience at that time. It was just a completely different thing. Yeah. And, and that is just a whole world when you start that album, like, like many of their records, but, but that in particular, just, just the way it starts and, and you have to just lock in and kind of, you know, give yourself over to what's about to, to happen. And, and that yeah. song is just like a, it's like a kind of cinematic masterpiece really. Yeah, I think lyrically for me, uh, it might be, it's hard to pick like my favorite lyrical album by Pink Floyd, but it might be Wish You Were Here. I like the the mix of the songs lyrically and um, I'm a big fan of Waters uh, lyrics. <laughs> it's one of the things I like about him. <laughs> I don't like everything about him, it turns out, but uh, lyrically, I mean, he nailed Sid Barrett in, in such an artistic and like you said, really cinematic way. Um, and even the degree to which uh, Waters and Gilmore obviously don't get along. I watched a documentary about Pink Floyd a couple months back and uh, you can see the appreciation that, that Gilmore has for that lyric. Um, and obviously as a song that they continue to perform. My favorite story about Pink Floyd, it, 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 at this point it feels rote because it gets brought up all the time, but it's Sid Barrett visiting you know, EMI. Uh, there's disagreement as to whether or not they're working on the song or not. Um, I think Mason says they weren't and the others said they were, but probably they weren't, but I like poetically that they were and that he walked in overweight and kind of looking like Vincent D'Onofrio in a full metal jacket a little bit. Um, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's very and, true. And uh, they don't even know who he is, which is just crazy. So um, what a perfect kind of scene in the film that is Pink Floyd, I guess, you know. I just remember the other. This... The other... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I, the other I... brilliant story I was reminded of Roger Waters, I don't know if you read the thing that he released this, they were having an argument over the liner notes for the animals reissue and yeah. he agreed not he agreed not to have them included in the package and then he put them on social media <laughs> which is a great interband relationship Amazing. but he talks about how they like what he had written at that time was shine on you crazy diamond and what became dogs and what became sheep you know these three absolutely phenomenal you know songs and um you know he decided no i want to follow the theme of loss and these two don't fit into it so i'm just going to concentrate on this one and write some more you know incredible uh, 
you know incredibly you know shaping an album around a you know a subject matter like that you know we talk about concept albums we often think about them as being you know stories or whatever but that brilliant concept and how it's all joined and linked and the sound effects you know it's fantastic um we should move on to the next one because we're going to be here a long time uh all right uh randy we're back on to you for your second second choice so i'm actually just for the time being going to skip over dark side because i you know that we'll get there um and i'm going to go right to dogs because for me uh animals was like as a kid that was the first pink floyd album that i really connected with uh it was the one that i heard the most around the house you know my dad was a big music fan um but i think by the time i was born i was born in 88 uh so by the time i started to register music in you know the early 90s um so much of that stuff had already been just played to death for him. But Animals was one of those records that I heard a lot as a kid. Uh, fun anecdote, it was also the first album I ever got drunk to in high school. Um, <laughs> as you so, said in high school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, um, I love Animals. It, it, I think it's an amazing album. It's a real dark horse in terms of you know, how it falls into the catalog, especially following up Wish You Were Here with that and then going to the wall, I think is just wild. But the tone of that record and that song in particular with Dogs, uh, I don't think they ever did anything like it before or after. Dogs is like, it's probably the closest thing to traditional prog. I would, would maybe say that they have in their catalog in terms of what the the sort of sonic template is obviously the length of the song is is um, pretty much takes up the whole album side, and it's it's one of the most aggressive things that they have. Um, David Gilmour's guitar playing on that song is just absolutely um, stunning and so it manages to be incredibly raw and 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 also just just so controlled as as he tends to be, but just the the tone of it the the double lead thing is is really interesting to hear and that part so at, at that time uh just just an amazing piece of music uh i think gilmore's voice on that song has uh, a sort of edge to it that is very different um just just yeah everything about it in that whole midsection with the keyboard solo it's kind of like they they really went for something on that song and it kind of Kind of to me, if I, if I had to, it's hard to say because they have so many amazing songs, obviously, and so many great epics. But I think Dogs really stands alone as as a really ambitious piece of music and and uh, just one of the best in their catalog. I, th I think it's. Well, if I had to pick one thing from Animal. It's got to be that. You got to be crazy. You gotta have a real need. Gotta sleep on your toes And when you're on the street You got to be able To pick out the easy meat With your eyes closed Then moving in silence that wasn't picked it was 
uh, you know, going to the end of this, it was going to be my my choice to make sure it made this yeah. album. I think it's that good and important of a song. I just think it's amazing. And I just the songs that stick with me are ones that I remember from being really young and just being in awe of some of this stuff because you just I hadn't heard anyone do things like this and especially like dogs is so original you know and even now when you listen to it it's like yeah. like you were saying it's just who's who's gonna write something like that now that's it's completely unique to to them i think it's amazing yeah and if i can uh, real quick it just kind of occurred to me and it's probably controversial to say but in some ways i feel like that's almost like the last true pink floyd song if you think about like songwriting credits and where they were headed with the wall like i know there's co-writes on the wall but that's that album is very much right a yeah baby you know? yep. and when you look at the songwriting credits for animals um dogs is is the only co-write on there mm -hmm. and and i think that is one of the, really one of the last times you you get that that sort of you know whatever you want to call it fire and ice combination yeah. of gilmore um and waters you, you get the melodic side of gilmore just thriving in that mm -hmm. song but you obviously get the, the lyrical you know genius of of waters and, and they didn't they didn't have that too many more times on record and that's that's really kind of like it's kind of the end in a lot of yeah ways. yeah um yeah. all right kyle your pick yeah so since you skipped over dark side i have to go to dark side and uh i don't know how you pick your song for dark side so I'm going to go with the one in this present moment that I think needs to be on this. And it's one you've heard a billion times, but I'm going to go with time. Um, and I, and I have my right reasoning yeah. for going with time. I, um, I, maybe it's the best standalone track on that album. And I think actually like it also works really well as a part of that album. So I guess that's why I'm picking it. I also would pick it because I think it's, you know, Pink Floyd at their best, and you were sort of getting at this, Randy, is when they all work in concert together. And I think maybe if I was going to pick one song that gets at the best of the whole band, and I think the fifth member of the band is really the studio. And you can kind of say the same thing about like the Beatles, you know, fifth member of that band, despite what others may say, uh, is, is the producer, it's George Martin. Uh, for Pink Floyd, you know, they're surrounded by equally as talented people, and Alan Parsons is actually the one that records the clocks is really just a just a sound experiment. And then they, you know, I think it was his idea. There's disagreement on that, too. But to tack it on to the beginning, it really makes that track something more special. Um, and then as a drummer, I have to applaud Nick Mason uh, for the Rototoms. And that was an experiment, too. You know, they tried some different drums and landed on that. And if you're not familiar with the Rototom, you rotate it to change the pitch of it. And so it creates this you know, as a drummer, like everyone knows that part. It's, you know, it's a quintessential drum part. Um, and so obviously the rest of the song, the melodies are excellent. The guitar solo is excellent. I mean, things that you always say about Pink Floyd and uh, it's just a timeless track and I love it. So time. Run. 
I agree. I'm glad you picked that one. That's that's mm, indeed that's one I would have gone with. I I just remember every those are songs that are so ingrained in your memory, like every lyric, everything. You I could go years and not hear it, and then I, you know, it's on and I know every word. It, it, it's just one of those songs. Um, but if you're gonna pull like the quote unquote hits, sort of, you know, from that one, I, that would be, I guess, my favorite also as well. So. Yeah, good choice. And you get a little bit of a um, little bit of breathe at the end, even so right. you get like a little yeah. sort of kid ties the album together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, uh, Jeff. Hey, um, left the dilemma. Lots of the lots of the things that I would have picked. Certainly, time probably would have been what I would have picked from Dark Side. Um, okay, I, I, I'm gonna go to the wall, and I'm gonna try and make up for my deep cut by picking comfortably numb. Whoa! Um, which 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 maybe isn't massively surprising. Um, <laughs> I, I did I did consider saying "Hey you," but I think I thought I probably would have been laughed at. I love "Hey you." I'll talk about oh, "Hey no, you." I, totally I love, love "Hey that you." Song. That would have been fine, as a song yeah. on my list. I I love it in the context of the show, um, the wall show, where it's the start of the second half, where there's kind of just a, a big wall across the audience. Uh, I, I think it's a fantastic song. Comfortably numb, my goodness, what can we say about it? You know, it's it, it, it's a it's a song that's probably outlived. You know, its own its own mythology. It's probably been played at every Pink Floyd's show since it was released. And I absolutely get Randy's point about the um, you know, the the kind of the the fire the firing off each other. Pink Floyd, I guess it is a co-write to the extent that. The chords, um, you know, at the start certainly were Gilmore's and 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 the lyric and and stuff was was shaped together by Waters. It does have the two of them um, performing together on it. The guitar solo just perfectly crafted, um, not very complicated, not very technical, but just singing melodically, um, and then the whole live presentation of it um, again on the Wall Show with. Gilmore and not that I was there, but Gilmore on top of the wall that you know that has been sort of replicated um, since then. A, a, a brilliant uh, you know staging moment as well, and just a, a song I I never tire of hearing. Um, I, I just the Michael Kamen string parts, um, uh, you know every, everything. It's it's just a, a beautiful standalone piece. Perfect. I mean, there's certain songs that I'm in awe of that when I hear them sometimes I think like someone wrote this. Like you know what I mean? Like you just you just sit back and go, This didn't exist at one point and then someone wrote this and it's like I, I, how does that even happen? Um, that's one of those songs I think. And from from even just from the first chord of how it comes in, how it's placed in the record, uh, I, I mean in the, the concept of the wall. And then everything sort of stops, and then that chord comes in. That that also is important to how that song works, you know. So, uh, yeah, Randy, when yeah. you were doing the the Pink Floyd, uh, 
you were on a Pink Floyd touring uh, uh, band for a while. Yeah. Um, was that, I mean, were you doing like the comfortably and I'm solo and, and, and these things? I mean, what, what, you know, tell us about that part of it. Cause we actually didn't ask you about that, but oh, I yeah, that's, yeah. that's important for this. So from early 2013 to early 2016, uh, I was a member of a touring group called PFX, the Pink Floyd experience. And so I did, I guess, four pretty long uh, tours across North America with those guys. And yeah, it's interesting because the the band leader was the guitar player. And so I was essentially, they needed a singer. It, it wasn't the kind of tribute band where, you know, you had to look like Pink Floyd and dress up and it yeah. had to be four piece or anything like that. Right. It's kind of a hybrid. It was its own thing. And it was, it was just a really, I thought a really well put together show. Uh, I never pictured myself being in a tribute band of any sort. And that was actually something that came about through uh, Nick DiVirgilio, friend of his was friends with that band and they were looking for a singer. And he asked Nick, Hey, do you know anybody? And, you know, he said, you should call this guy. And uh, so anyways, the gig was a lot of fun. It actually came along at the perfect time for me in my career. Cause I was about 24 when I started with them. I hadn't done any long scale tour up to that point. Um, and it was a, you know, this really nice production playing really nice theaters, tour bus, the whole nine yards, great, great uh, sound and lighting. And uh, I really learned a lot of performance chops on that you know it's like i basically went from playing clubs to just like playing in front of a couple thousand people every night it wasn't my own music but i very quickly understood what the role of tribute acts kind of play and i think this is something that it's a big conversation but i i think you you're going to see this this phase that's already happening with this era of music basically entering like a classical phase mm -hmm. where you're gonna you know people who want to hear this music played live it won't, you won't be able to hear it from the artists who created it yeah. anymore. Yeah. So the next best thing, if you want to feel that music in real time with people is going to be, you know, finding tribute bands. And as it happens with Pink Floyd, because they're so popular, you know, you can throw a rock and hit a Pink Floyd tribute. And, mm -hmm. uh, but for me, so to get back to your original question, I was brought in as a singer and as a guitar player second so I did get to play, you know, some of the iconic solos, but a majority of them were already, you know, uh, in place by the, the band leader who started the thing. So with Comfortably Numb, when we would do it live, uh, he would do the first solo and then we would kind of trade off on the second solo where we would each get a few bars, kind of did it like how Roger Waters would do it, like with Snowy White and uh mm -hmm. when he had doyle bromwell in the band and yeah, yeah. that kind of thing but my my history with this song sorry to take so much time goes back to being uh like 15 where i grew up there was this this uh local sort of theater community theater company and they started doing rock productions uh, like once a year in between you know godspell and all the normal theater stuff they did Tommy one year and then they did, they did a production of the wall. So I was the lead guitar player of the wall as a 15 year old. Oh. I knew the whole record from 
start to finish. Wow, and that's cool. there I did have to learn, you know, I learned the solos note for note to mm-hmm. the entire album. And the next year uh, they did Dark Side of the Moon. So, wow. and, and my wife, um, as a teenager, saw me in that show of The Wall for the first time. So it's, it's a very deep connection to that band and in the music that it actually plays, you know, in my life. But um, yeah, I mean, what, what else can you say about the comfortably numb guitar solo? It's completely iconic. Yep. And I don't know if people realize that the, the outro solo is not like one take. It's, it's what you would call a composite of multiple takes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a good thing that people know that if, if they care to know it, just because it's, it's the case that because it's so iconic, I think people expect that it's supposed to be played for note, note for note. The first mm-hmm. solo, absolutely, because it's a melodic structure. It's like mm-hmm. basically a composed solo. But the second one, really, you hit a few key marks and the rest of it, you, you need to just do your own thing with it. Gilmore has never totally. played that solo the same way twice. Right. Yeah. And it was and it wasn't recorded that way either. It's but. A- it's it's a it's a fun thing. I remember one of the Pink Floyd tribute acts I saw, and it's it's that balance between what are the parts that you have to play yeah. exactly right, and what are the parts that you can kind of do your own thing. And I can remember seeing this band in a small club, and they did Shine On You Crazy Diamond, and the, the guitar player pay, played part of the intro notes, uh, just you know the first sort of solo bit played it differently. And there was this collective. <laughs> like, how dare you? Like you, you can hear it over over the course of the music. And everyone, you know, it's like you know playing, uh, you know, uh, you know the eighteen twelve overture, but you know ch- changing the tune. <laughs> no, you can't do but that. I, I can't love that it. bit. Um, all right, you know what I'm do with my second pick. Um, so we actually did a song each from the the middle four big record so that's cool we got we got at least something going well from all those um, i know where you're going i'm gonna go yeah i'm gonna go the gilmore uh pink floyd era uh yeah. uh from uh momentary lapse of reason my favorite song from the two albums without water so i'm gonna i'm gonna pick sorrow which the guy's uh, back Sorry. he really wants to know what your pick is gonna be that's he's funny. cleaning <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I had to get the outside clean. Sorry. That's great. Please right. keep anyway, that Anyway, so I'm going to go uh, with Sorrow from Momentary Lapse of Reason. Uh, that closes that album. Yeah, I love I love that song. I think it's just, it holds up with some of the earlier stuff. I think it still sounds great, you know, on those live records. Um, just some heavy soloing from Gilmore, you know, in that and the whole kind of just groove of it. Um, so I think it's, it's the song that from those two albums, I think would, would have fit if it was, you know, from the earlier, earlier era of the band. The sweet smell of a great sorrow lies over the land. Plumes of smoke rise, merge into the leaden sky. Yeah, so those those last two albums, so that one in Division Bell, I, I, maybe just like a little uh, conversation I have about those two. How, how do you view those those two albums? 
because I we, we did like the 80s podcast and I, I struggled to pick something from that album that really felt like it could hold up. And I mean, that was a whole 80s. So it's a different conversation than I'm glad someone's picking something from those. And I guess somebody might pick something from Endless River as well, uh, or even like, I guess, I don't know if you pulse, pulse doesn't really count, but um, how do you view those albums? Are those ones you keep going back to? I mean, obviously we listen to them, but. It's weird. I think, I think uh, Division Bill is probably the better album, um, or at least sort of holding up a little bit more of the proggy kind of side of them, which is, yeah. which I think is good. But, um, but I'm not going to lie. I think Momentary has some, a few really good moments on it. I think it just suffers from the eighties kind of production and, you know, that whole thing. And it's very much kind of like a Gilmore solo record, you know, which is kind of how it started anyway. But I don't know. I still kind of like them both. Randy mentioned he was born in 1988. Um, so, uh, you know, this, this was released before he was 87. born. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I remember, you know, this album for me again, came out uh, we were into pink you know we we had started to listen to pink floyd maybe a year or two and again you know pre pre-internet in the last millennium you know suddenly there was a new pink floyd album and it was like well there's a new album and we talk about 80s production you know but at the time we didn't go oh this is really this is really 80s production because no. it was the 80s and that's what stuff sounded like and if anything it was kind of modern and like again in the days before Spotify, in the days before having every piece of music ever available to you, we listened to that. You know, I knew that record inside out, and I I, I enjoyed and loved the whole thing because it was new Pink Floyd, and we like Pink Floyd, and I think there's a lot to be said for it. I quite like the thing that they did with it recently, where they tidied up some of the production that's in the in in the in the box set. It's quite interesting hearing it with um with slightly different drums but and sorrow i think is a is a great pick and a great track and album it's not all brilliant um but you know no i mean i think it was very good i, I sort of feel like dogs of war i don't really dig anymore as much you know learning to fly is a little little weak for you maybe i don't you know what's funny about that going back to the delicate sound of thunder not to go on off on a tangent but they opened that concert with shine on you crazy diamond this sort of epic version it's great and the whole thing and then the very next song is learning to fly and i totally dig it like the way <laughs> i thought <laughs> i don't know something about it's this version with all this percussion that opens it and and then the bass comes in and it sort of picks up the tempo of the show you know coming off shine on you crazy diamond and it's kind of like it totally sort of works for me in that situation so i don't know um yeah I grew up with the Delicate Sound of Thunder VHS. I mean, that like that was yeah. my first time, you know, seeing a version of, of Pink Floyd. And it's not like there was a bunch of video footage out there. Yeah. Free YouTube. Anyways, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I have a soft spot for some of that material. I, I think On the Turning Away is is a beautiful song. That's a song I always loved singing, actually, with, with uh, the Pink Floyd experience, because it's, yeah. it's a really nice melody and obviously a great guitar solo at the end the thing to, to go back real quick to comfortably numb i think the sort of blessing and curse of that song is that it kind of set a new template for 
like the trademark David Gilmore guitar solo style from that point on. Mm. And I feel like once that is established as like an instant classic, it's almost like everything that comes after that is, I don't want to say it's an attempt to recapture what Comfortably Numb does on the guitar side, but it, it definitely seemed to make almost every major David Gilmore extended guitar solo statement the thing that you had to compare to Comfortably Numb. Mm. And so with Momentary Lapse Reason, On the Turning Away is one of those really great guitar solos, which it's also the case that because Pink Floyd tempos tend to generally hover in the same uh, sort of spot, um, and their harmonic structures are also very much around that sort of minor yeah. to blues thing. This, like I found, you know, in making this this list, um, you can really get sort of bogged down in the the sort of medium ballad long guitar solo thing because it kind of really became super signature at that point and yeah. so with so with momentary lapse and like division bell the endless river I, I honestly have not spent enough time with to to really say much about it but with those two albums it's, it's kind of like you have the the song songs um the things that you know with like multiple songwriters and especially with momentary lapse of reason there's a lot of songwriters on there patrick leonard from toy matinee um co-wrote several tracks on there and it's very much like a production album division bell to me is like more of a floyd record but yeah. even there you kind of fluctuate between songs that sound like they're trying to recapture an old an older sense of who they were and like kind of where they were at so those if two albums—they're tough you, for me. They're... It's your it's your pick next, Randy. If you want to transition into the into that, you go, can go. Well, right I'm, I'm conflicted, you know, because um, I thought I would before you picked Sorrow. I thought I would be the odd person out in, in probably picking at least one song from the Gilmore era, which for me would have been High Hopes. Um, I think that's an amazing composition, and I to me that's that song. Is like the perfect end cap of what that era was, but also lyrically what it is. It really, you know, it's talking about their career and especially Gilmore's early days. You know, it's very autobiographical. So I, I do think High Hopes is is a really great song. Uh, but man, it's it's so hard. I mean, I, I haven't even said anything from Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, the final. I'll take care of that. Yeah, yeah. The final cut is is another one that mm -hmm. always gets sort of glossed over, and uh, it's it's such a weird thing. I know people that just adore that album, and then I know people who just could not be bothered with it. You know, mm -hmm. I, I wrote down your possible pasts on my list because I was trying to think of yeah. like, is there one song from that album that I would for the sake of being a completist and trying to get I go, the beginning of their I go high hopes yeah. over final cut, man. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> so, um, man, it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of between high hopes and your, your possible past really, um, neither of them I would call, you know, necessarily a, a true favorite. Like if I had to pick a top 10, but I feel like one of those songs should be represented just, just to give like a, 
full scope. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess I'll go with high hopes just because I have more of an emotional connection to it. But um, but my runner-up, I guess, being a last pick would be your possible pass just because I think the final cut, I, I do think it's a very good album. Um, but like what you said with David Gilmore with the momentary lapse kind of being like a solo record and the final cut is, you know, it's, right. it's a Roger Waters album. I, I don't know how anybody could see it yeah. any other way. I mean, everybody's yeah. barely present on that record. Um, well, Nick doesn't even play on one of the songs, you know? So, I mean, yeah, two sets, uh, two songs in the, into the sunset, sunset yeah. but the last song, I think that's what it's yeah. called. Right? Well, I mean, if, if we're just talking about high hopes for a minute, I mean, I, I think, like you said, I think it's a perfect, sort of closing to to that album to the band being what it was and and it's a it's a totally memorable song beautifully written um i i i think it's i think it's held up as a, as one of the favorites for most people from from those last two records you know easily yeah yeah it's, it's a nice lyric the melody the, the the arrangement is brilliant the orchestration uh, the nylon string guitar stuff and then for an outro guitar solo, like so many that there are, um, that one's that one's a bit different, you know, because he's playing playing lap steel on yeah. that, and uh, it's it's a gorgeous sound. It has so many great sort of melodic figures. When when he finally finishes the solo and he's riding out, he kind of goes into this melody, and uh, yeah, I think for me of that era, that's that's the closest thing to like an, a sort of iconic song that they have between those, those two. Yeah, records. great. No, perfect. The grass was green. Kyle, your last. Uh, All right. Place. I'm going to come back. I, I was expected to be the one to pick like the obvious stuff. Um, I've got a few picks I would love to put on here, but I'm just going to go with the one that I think needs to be on here. And it's a bit of a cheat, but I think you'll give it to me. And uh, I'm going to go back to dark side and I'm going to pick uh, brain damage and eclipse. Um, they, I, had it, they, I had it like that too. That was totally on my yeah. list. Yeah, perfect. They're, they're one song. Yeah. Um, I've actually read up on why they were actually split into two songs because if it's played on the radio, if it's played in concert, if you're listening to it, you're going to listen to both. Uh, you know, they go right one into the other. There's one idea that it was for money reasons that they were paid per song. And then also just maybe just thematically that they were split for, you know, whatever purpose. Um, I don't care. They're, they're one song. And as a kid, you know, listening to classic rock radio in Jonesboro, Arkansas, that was a song that always cut through to me as someone who, you know, grew up to love progressive rock. Like, I just love certain elements. I love the lyrics about like a lunatic, you know, like those like um, artistic decisions and evocative cinematic thoughts, you know, with the guy laughing and the little interview tapes playing. And I just love that stuff. I mean, it's just, it's the reason why people got into Dark Side of the Moon you know, 11 years before I was born. Um, but I just love it. And then of course, Eclipse as an ender is perfect. This should probably be the last song that we we put on this list. Um, 
but just the lyrical content of Eclipse might be my favorite Pink Floyd moment. Like I just love, like I get goosebumps even thinking about that moment of that record. So uh, we'll go with those two. Perfect. No, I'm really happy you picked that. That's great. If not, I was probably going to end do that as my well. I probably should have let you do the honors. It's all good. It's all good. Um, uh, Jeff, you're you're next one. Okay, so Rand, Rand, this is a bit like a cause and effect here because Randy's last decision crystallized one of my choices. <laughs> um, seeing as he avoided the final cut, um, I'd, I had one of my sort of longer list from the final cut, which I'm going to put on, which is The Gunner's Dream. Yeah. And um, I, I suppose the, the sorrow and high hopes, um, you know, the sort of the single-minded Gilmore vision the final cut is clearly the single-minded Waters vision, even more so than the wall was. Um, he was just going for it in his own way. And I think, you know, Roger's vocals are, are something that, you know, Gilmore has a more naturally um, melodic and lovable voice. Waters' voice <laughs> is is different, but I think it is its finest use is on the final cut and i think the gunner's dream which begins very quietly which turns if you know that song the bit where he sort of comes to scream and screams hold on to the dream and the voice gets blended into a saxophone solo it's just an incredibly clever um production moment all of that very close mic whispering you can hear every kind of nuance of his voice um you know and i think it's just a a, a a wonderful song um i think i think it does have it does have a gilmore guitar solo i think it does um but i just i just i just like that as a piece and i think it represents something um something of pink floyd that it, that is important uh he also did a brilliant he's been doing a number of kind of lockdown kind of um tracks with his band and that was that was one he did recently as well a really cool version of it um, with his with his touring band which is working as the teardrops rise to meet the comfort of the band you take a frail hand Cool. I mean, it's good to have something from that album to sort of round things out. And I think, <laughs> why not? Yeah. This is Roy's way of saying, I, I really don't like that album, but hey, it, it should yeah, be on. It's here. fine. It's all, you know. uh, I, I actually really dig that album, but I, I, I could never I really get into it, but it's, I get it. For Roger I mean, and I, it, I like also full one, on Roger. It's also one for me that you sort of have to listen to as a whole. I mean, it, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's constructed in that way which I don't think you could really say about any of the Gilmore era albums. 
um yeah so yeah it's, just, it's a go ahead sure oh I'm i just sure. i just wanted to point out what you said about roger's vocal because that is something i could definitely say as i get older as i get more comfortable as a singer because i i started singing way late compared to my guitar playing like 10 years after i started playing guitar did i start to sing so my journey as a singer is, is a lot is very different than as a guitar player and uh, i find that you know as i get older and i listen to waters you know with the wall and the final cut in particular um what he was able to convey with his voice emotionally is something you cannot train for it is it is it is pure rage and anger uh depression sadness it's like there there is a channeling of different emotions and energies in those lyrics and in those performances on those two records um it's just off off the charts you know i i thought about putting one of my turns on my list for that very reason just because yeah. it's um his performance on that song is just stunning you know like yeah. the amount of uh vulnerability in his voice and yeah. you know to put that on a record that's going to just last until <laughs> far beyond the artist being gone uh i i just i can't imagine that kind of like coming up with that kind of performance and what it would take to capture that kind of anguish and just just ripping his voice apart now i think he, he his instrument probably paid for it um but what we have are these these records that really encapsulate uh an emotion that i don't think anybody has ever captured other than that guy and nobody will ever think of roger waters as you know on a top 10 list of best singers or whatever it's it's something much deeper than that no no he's one of those guys that fits with what his yeah. music is and only he can convey it i totally yeah. agree um all right so all your last few choices have sort of made me think of where i want to go to close this thing out certainly there's a big there's a bunch of big songs left yeah. um a lot of cool deep cuts because we have, we've only picked one from the wall so far, I'm going to go back to that record. Um, and I'm going to be sort of selfish because I love this song, and I don't know if it's one that would be the one most people pick. But I'm going to go uh, Run Like Hell. That's going to be my, my, last, uh, my last pick for this. And it sort of fits because it's their encore song anyway, and it uh, and closes things out. Uh, and we need something a bit more upbeat and uh, rocking <laughs> hard after, to do. The, after the last few choices and they don't have many of those so um yeah i love i love this song because it has sort of an energy to it yet it's so simple everything about it from the guitar lick to the drums to the everything it's like the easiest song in the world but it it's so big in the same way and um and and totally works and uh and it's always been one of my favorites from from that album i mean i i almost went mother which just for the guitar solo because that's a favorite mm. but then it's just like another one of those songs so i i went with run like hell to close it out
Apple is probably is responsible for so many people buying uh, false digital delay units. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and getting this, getting the right setting. And as soon yeah. as you get the right setting, it's actually really easy to play. Yeah, yeah. it's nothing. It's like a, it's silly, but it, it works. It's great. Um, we'd left off. I mean, a bunch of good ones. Um, yeah, you know, honorable mentions. You were here. Wish you were here. Wish is, you I guess, were here most... is, a, is a big one that that we left off. I'm, I'm really shocked that 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 wasn't picked. Um, I figured that that would ha just like have to be. Yeah. What? Well, well, one of these days was left off as well, which is great. Yeah. yeah. But we do have a song from that album already. And then I, you said, "Hey, you" would have been laughed at, but that's if things went a certain way, that would have been one of my choices too. I had, Hey, you, I also, I love in the flesh is the opener to, to the wall. I love like the aggressiveness of that. And, you know, dream I like theater. Goodbye had Blue Sky. That could have been, it's great. It been a good choice. It, I got that on my list too. Yeah. I love a little synth in that. Yeah. So, um, I, I listen, man, again. this is, but you know what? I'm really happy with our, I mean, it worked out perfectly yeah, cool. well. Like really nice. I think it's a pretty good cross section of, it, it all depends on like what are we trying to say with with the list you know is yeah. it the ultimate album of course it isn't i mean it's, it's impossible um but it's a pretty strong list if you if you hadn't heard pink floyd before you said like hey check out these songs yeah. and it's it's so hard knowing that they in that that sweet spot of you know those classic four albums let's say uh those are all just such experiences from start to finish. It's it's really hard to just take pieces out, and especially with the wall because you've got so many of these great short songs. You know, you mentioned like "Goodbye Blue Sky," which is beautiful. Um, I I love "Nobody Home." You know, like yeah. all sorts of great songs, but it's it's really hard to sort of take them out of context and say like this represents Pink Floyd. I mean, the wall is like its own thing entirely. The wall is so unique because it's it's a perfectly put together concept record where the concept is right there, you get it, the story works, you know, and yet they were able to pull like five legit hit singles from it. Yeah. That, right. that on their own totally work on their own. It's a really hard thing to do that I, I don't know anyone any other band that's been able to pull that off to that extent yeah you know, it's amazing really waters was a, a just a genius putting that stuff together it's crazy i mean yeah. another brick in the wall is like one of the biggest hits ever by a classic rock mm. band sitting in this concept album inexplicably like it's 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 insane i mean has there ever been a band there's no band like them that seven albums in then becomes the biggest band in the world like that, that that's that hasn't happened well they wouldn't get the chance yeah that's what i was saying earlier you know yeah. it's it's uh i mean they're they're just an exceptional case it, it's amazing that they arrived where they did as songwriters you know based on where they they started and all that experimental stuff that we kind of talked about earlier uh but it's 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 always occurred to me as as somebody who is you know a fan of progressive rock music, and again, you know, some people really have a hard time seeing them in that context. Um, I don't think it's really worth debating or talking about. But 
I, the thing about Floyd is that they, they represent like the closest thing. If, if you're going to call them progressive rock, kind of the closest thing to like an everyman sort of band. And, and that's the power of a song like Wish You Were Here and, and like so many of their songs in that sweet spot of their career, which is that um, you don't have to be a virtuoso to play it. You have, you have to have a lot of feel as a musician, you have to have a vocabulary, but you don't have to be a shredding musician. Like you yeah. have to be to play a lot of other progressive music of that time. Um, but it's also the case that you can break it down to an acoustic guitar and voice or piano and a voice. And those songs hold up better than almost anything else you can, you can imagine in that context, you know, they're like, they're like campfire songs and it's how they were able to take very simple chord progressions and turn them into this whole universe of production, which is like, like they're like making sonic movies basically um, with, with those records. And so they're sonically just so inventive and so influential, but they never lost sight of the songs that are at the core, which is what I feel is my biggest gripe really with a lot of, you know, progressive rock, what it became and and what it has kind of become in a lot of ways it's like sometimes i wonder to myself is there a song there you know if you take away all of the really great production and all the great playing and you strip it down to something like an acoustic guitar and a voice can it can it hold up and pink floyd is one of those bands where you can take almost any one of those songs from 73 let's say really all the way through and and you have a song there and i think that's why it resonates with so many people the lyrics yeah. are incredibly deep but relatable and you know it's it, there's nothing trite about that stuff it's yeah just no it's uh you know I'm, i have a teenage son and he's it, it's his friends are starting to listen to pink floyd it's just a band <laughs> like everyone around their high school years forever is going to yeah. land on this band because mm -hmm. it's just something about it yeah. that, well, you know, works. And I think the thing that I maybe find most progressive about them is that they managed to become one of the biggest bands of all time. And I think what will become one of the most sustaining bands with the most sustaining catalog of music without even anyone really knowing what they look like, um, and, you know, they weren't commercialized on that level and they kind of did whatever they wanted to do. And so certainly they're not a punk rock band, but they kind of have in some ways that sort of a aura around them. And that is to me very progressive is that in a time where it wasn't that they experimented and they progressed and they did what they wanted and it's Imagine sustained because they, of how they so didn't good have to post every day on social media to let Crazy. everybody know what they're doing. And oh, man. They still became a humongous band. Just think of how big they could have been <laughs> only had they had social media. I mean, if they I mean, only really. had Instagram, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to go listen to this album now. <laughs> yeah, right. Having read Roger Waters' post, they may have split <laughs> Roger up. Roger would have been canceled years ago. <laughs> oh, my God. You know? <laughs> That's too funny. Well, guys, this was a lot of fun. Randy, uh, good talking to you, man. You too. Uh, Thank you so much for... Uh, the invite i i love this this kind of thing and and anytime just let me yeah, know yeah no i mean uh it, it's always great to talk to you man i love the music you're doing just just keep it up and we'll see you on the cruise hopefully in in a few months absolutely all right all right guys good night good. we'll see you later Thanks, guys.